Hello and welcome to this episode of The Jewish Views with Phil Dave, Kate Fulton and Diana Toman. Coming up on this episode, we will be reflecting the hideous scenes to have come out of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania over the weekend. We will be speaking to various members of the American and British Jewish community as we try to come to terms with what's happened over there. In other news, we will be looking into the UK Jewish Film Festival for 2018 and we will speak to Michael Etherton, the chief executive of UK Jewish Film, about that. And we will also hear a rather remarkable story from one Helen Stone and her family's connection to Kristallnacht as it approaches the 80th anniversary of that infamous night. But before all of that, with a roundup of the main Jewish news stories from the past week, here's Vivian Krieger. And we begin with the tragic synagogue mass shooting in the United States, the worst incident of anti-Semitic violence in the country's history. President Donald Trump and the First Lady paid solemn tributes at a memorial in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The couple placed flowers at the Tree of Life synagogue, where 11 of the congregation were shot dead. But hundreds of demonstrators nearby shouted that the president wasn't welcome. Local and religious leaders were divided on the issue, but one resident of the area said he shouldn't have visited until the dead were buried and went on to decry the president's divisive rhetoric. And Baroness Tong, formerly of the Liberal Democrats and a vociferous critic of Israel, has stepped down as patron of the Palestine Solidarity Campaign after appearing to blame Israel for the rise in anti-Semitism in the wake of the Pittsburgh massacre. She'd posted a comment on Facebook suggesting that the current Israeli government's actions against Palestinians were a contributing factor. The Palestine Solidarity Campaign, though, regarded her post as deeply troubling and said it stood shoulder to shoulder with Jewish communities. In a new survey conducted by BICOM, 38% of some 2,000 people polled think Jeremy Corbyn is an anti-Semite who's only interested in talking to terrorists. But 20% believe he's worked to try and deliver peace in the Middle East. The Labour leader has frequently been criticised in the past for inviting Hamas and Hezbollah members to Parliament, referring to them as his friends. Israeli jets have hit 80 Hamas terror targets in Gaza after dozens of rockets were fired at civilian communities in southern Israel. The rockets, which triggered code red alert sirens, came in from Gaza and the Iron Dome missile defence system intercepted 17 of them. Others landed in open areas. Islamic Jihad claimed responsibility. Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, joined 200 Scottish students on a trip run by the Holocaust Educational Trust to Auschwitz and called on people to never be bystanders in the face of hate. She said what happened at the death camp was one of the darkest periods in human history and that the synagogue attack at the weekend shows anti-Semitism is rearing its head again. Thank you, Viv. First on the Jewish Views this week, we have Richard Ferrer, editor of the paper, and he's joined by Justin Cohen, who is the news editor. And they're going to join us to review your copy of the Jewish News for this week. Now, the front page, which would normally have a headline, has in fact just a picture which tells a story. And the story is, of course, Pittsburgh, and it is of the American flag. It is, yeah. Sometimes uh, there are no words, and I certainly think that this is one such week. It is the American flag, uh, the Stars and Stripes, but 11 of those stars are replaced by Mug and Dovids 
on our front page. Paul Solomon's our fantastic illustrator, came up with that profound design. Look, I mean, we're all members of active members of the community. We all spend our time, don't we, in synagogues, community centres, schools, and to to think that something could happen so merciless, so violent in in such a place of peace is is truly terrifying. And and as the days go by, and as we were putting together this this issue, there's about nine or ten pages of coverage, you really, really felt it, the lump in your throat grow and the impact that it's had on on everyone. Uh, There was a vigil at JW3 that was very well attended and, and extremely moving. And just that our thoughts go out to, to those affected. Luckily, mercifully, we've never seen anything quite like this in the UK. Across Europe, we've seen in Toulouse and Brussels and Copenhagen in recent years, atrocities carried out against the Jewish community. But we're well protected here. And the terror that, that Jews on the continent and now in America face is not something that we've yet had to come to grips with. And obviously, long may that continue. Did you find that there was an element of surprise in the fact that it was like almost like the old fashioned Nazi extremism, right wing? We've been there. It was almost like we sort of expected it to everyone said it was terrorism, but it wasn't. And it sort of felt like we were coming in, coming in full circle. Well, I, I think it was terrorism. It uh, was just, terrorism, it was, but it not was far, far right terrorism. I, yeah. I think it was a yeah, it was a reminder that the threat from the far right still exists. It, uh, you know, it's something that's ever present. And, and yes, in this country in particular, we've focused a lot on on left wing anti semitism and also Islamist the Islamist threat in recent years. But there, there's no doubt that that far right threat has always been ever present. I think that in the wake of what happened, the fact that so many high-profile figures came together so quickly to take part in the vigil at JW3. The Mayor of London, Sajid Javid, the uh, Home Secretary, Deputy Head of Police, leaders from church and from the Muslim community and so on, was really a mark, though, of the regard and the concern that people had for the Jewish community in the wake of this and the, and the, the fact they wanted to show that the community is not alone, despite how it's feeling at the moment, and this will only heighten those feelings. Another thing that really stood out from those that attended the vigil was the fact that during all of those speeches, there was absolute quiet, I understand, throughout all those speeches until there was an address from a lady fr- uh, that uh, was bat mitzvah at the Tree of Life community and spoke in personal terms. And it was really a reminder for people that this could have been us, that, you know, it just happened to be a synagogue in America. It just happened to be that community. But but we're all under this ever-present threat and uh, and the CST, thank, thank goodness we have them to protect us. And I think we the, a lot of people are grateful for them at this time as well. Yeah, there was the attack on the mosque in London not too long ago. So, yeah, I think all communities, uh, minority communities are vulnerable I think the Jewish community gets something like, Justin would probably know the number better from the Home Office, something like £14 million a year in terms of security. Obviously, our, our children go to school behind barbed wire fences and CTV and, and tall walls. And when you go to synagogue, there's the high-vis jackets there. And so we're, we're under we're under no illusions. And yeah, we, we, we thank the, the CST for all the extraordinary work they do and the fact that the Jewish community has the support of the government, you know, the Home Secretary has the the community's back but i look, i i don't think we need to really at this point be talking anything more other than the victims and and who they were what they leave behind the, the hole they leave we profiled each and every one of them in this week's paper 
Bernice Simon and Sylvia and Simon, 84 and 86, were married in that synagogue 60 years ago where they were shot down. Irving Younger was uh, somebody who always greeted you apparently at the door and helped you find your page in the prayer book when you couldn't find it, which was always my problem whenever I went to synagogue. So I could have used his help. Each and every one of these individuals are brought to life a little bit in the paper, which I think right now, as it's so raw, is probably the, the thing to most focus on. And we also have the rather troubling response from Baroness Tong about this story. Unfortunately, not all reactions were as positive as that of the Home Secretary and the Mayor of London. We can always rely on uh, Chris Williamson, for example, the Labour MP who tweeted within hours of the attack about an article from Squawk Box, a left-wing media outlet, about the Board of Deputies. And then shortly after that, Baroness Tong, again, someone who's not known to be sensitive to the community's concerns, let's say, spoke on Facebook about how she always wonders whether the actions of the Israeli government cause the rise in anti-Semitism. And that was within a few hours of the Pittsburgh attack. She has now had to step down as patron of the Palestinian Solidarity Campaign. She was widely criticised across the spectrum in Parliament. And, you know, unfortunately, she, she's probably going to continue saying this sort of thing. We, we've, we've heard it from her before, blaming anti-Semitism on Israel. She's withdrawn that particular post, but I suspect it, it won't be long before we hear similar sentiments again. On to something maybe a little bit lighter. There is a piece here that says, and it's, it's killing me to actually read this aloud, and I'll say it quickly, Jewish women less charitable than men. Come on. Did you not know that? Come on. I have aware? my pledge card, Imchul, sitting on my chair. Why would I Why would I want to, to do anything less than any of the uh, the blokes on with pledge cards on their chairs? I, I don't know how we made this distinction. Just to give a little bit of background here. Yeah. So World Jewish Relief, in their infinite wisdom, have decided to commission a survey, which is clearly quite divisive and problematic. It's going to offend 50.1% of, <laughs> of every member of the, of the community. Basically, and they've said that Jewish women give less charity than men. Men in the community are are more generous. I have to add that below it, we've added an opinion piece by Rafi Cooper from said charity in which he's basically distancing himself from his organisation's own survey saying there really isn't a gender generosity gap. Often when it comes to family donations, they'll be given in the man's name and other reasons. I, it, it does seem to be a little bit poorly thought out, shall we say, and yes, certainly very controversial. I imagine around the table we, we all give to charity and um, it, it's a, a personal and profound decision when you do so. And some people don't give necessarily money, they give time which is valuable and they give sometimes as you say there's, there's family donations but in a very traditional, in some very old fashioned families where the husband's still in charge of the, the bank balances or whatever which does still happen. Yeah. It, well, again, it will be his name on the check. Well, so. you know, you can't, you can't doubt a survey, quite frankly. I think oh, you can. Surveys. I think you probably oh, can, and I'm Pretty reliable it. data, yep. Kate. Pretty reliable data. I'll, I'll, read it, I'll read it out. Results from the survey show that one in ten women have given £1,000 or more in the last 12 months compared to one in five men. So it's almost, it's 50% more men give than women. <sighs> I'm sorry. There's 250,000 Jews out there. It's there in black and white. You, you just need to be a little bit more generous with your oh, time on, and your Richard. money, Kate. You know what they say? Lies, damn lies and statistics. <laughs> I, I think this, this, this is a proper servation survey. It's not, it's not a, 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 a basic a piece of work. It's, it's a proper polling company. I, and they've, they've done proper polling. But having said that, I think... I don't know what questions they've asked. I mean, sometimes you can skew them. Sometimes it can be... 
in terms of, you know, it depends whether you put a value, like we said before, on your time. Um, well, to put it into perspective, World Judicial Relief commissioned this because they've just started a new campaign which is focusing on women. They're, they're looking at women in, in, in a positive way and, and, and putting the focus on the needs of women in the communities they work with around the world. Another thing I would say about this is probably, I suspect when, when men are answering questions like this about how much they're worth, they're probably more likely to exaggerate than women are, I suspect. Quite. Mm. My point. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, which makes the story slightly troublesome and I think a, a little unfair. But yeah, as Justin says, it is actually for Women of World Jewish Relief, which is this new campaign championing uh, the work that females do around the world. Right. Well, on that note, that's where we're going to have to leave it for this week. Thank you, Justin Cohen and Richard Ferrer. And don't forget, you can pick up your copy of The Jewish News every Thursday across London or read the e-version at jewishnews.co.uk. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Now, on Saturday, the 27th of October, 2018, worshippers at the Etz Chaim, or Tree of Life Synagogue, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, were innocently attending their Shabbat service when a gunman opened fire and killed 11 people. The attack has shocked the global Jewish community and has sparked reactions in many different countries, from vigils to fundraising to even a campaign encouraging Jews to defy the attack by attending shul this coming weekend. Among the victims were a husband and wife, a Holocaust survivor and two brothers, the youngest being 54 the oldest being 97. The Jewish world is in mourning, as reflected on the front cover of the Jewish News this week, but let's try and discuss it further. First, let's speak to Michael Masters, the National Director and CEO of the SCN, that's the Secure Community Network, the American equivalent of the CST. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the Jewish Views, especially in such horrible, horrible circumstances. But First and foremost, what would you say the mood is like, for want of a better term, amongst the American Jewish community? First of all, thank you for, for having us. And with being here, the, the show of support from your community in the UK to ours here in the US, we truly are a global community. The feeling here is one of loss. We mourn the senseless loss of life. Our hearts are obviously with those who were lost, those who have lost, as well as those who survive. Sometimes we come together as a community voluntarily in times of prayer and celebration. Sometimes we are drawn together. And this is one of those times where we are pulled and drawn together by circumstances not of our making. And we will, as we do as a people, get through it together. Now, the SCN is, I, am I right in saying that it's for the northern parts of America? So therefore, would I be right in thinking that the Etzheim Synagogue is in your patch, as it were? So we are the official Homeland Security and Safety Initiative for the organized Jewish community in North America. We were founded under the auspices of the Jewish Federations of North America and the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. There are 147 federations throughout the United States. Pittsburgh has a particularly strong and vibrant Jewish community, as we know, and a particularly active Jewish federation. They have a local federation security director. Our role is really to support that security director, support that community however possible. It's what we have worked to do in the past, and frankly, it's what we have worked to do this 
past several days. Now, it's been reported that President Trump has suggested that if the synagogue had had better armed protection, then the outcome would have been better or different. If that's the case, that he has said those comments, what is it that you make of those comments? So from a pure security perspective, every community is unique. Every institution is unique. Our schools, our Jewish day schools, our synagogues, our senior centers, our day camps, our community centers, our college campus organizations, there is no one size fits all solution. There is no unique one discrete item. Certainly every institution should think about safety and security. They need to have a discussion about what works for them as an organization, as an institution. But I I would suggest that simply saying that this is a matter about armed security or unarmed security is a bit like saying that had American Airlines or United Airlines simply reinforced the cockpit doors on September 11, 2001, we would have been fine. We are dealing with an ideology of hatred and violence that is targeting our community. And I don't want to overlook that by simply suggesting there's a security solution that builds bigger walls or stronger doors. We have to think about this in totality. And what is the general attitude towards security for Jewish organizations in America? Because in the UK, we have our equivalent, the CST, who are unbelievable, the work they do to protect the community in this country, and the advice that they give out, the training they put in place for so many members of our community to ensure that we can stay safe. Is that the similar sort of work that SCN does? And if so, how will this impact on that? So I I should note that CST has been a long and strong partner of SCN and more broadly of our Jewish community here in the United States. We work constantly to share and discuss best practice and what works well. There are unique, obviously, particularities to every community. Just in terms of sheer size, the size of the Jewish community in the city of Chicago outpaces the overall size of the Jewish community in in the UK. So there are things that are just difficult to scale, but we certainly learn from best practice from our partners, not only in the UK, but Australia and other countries across Europe and around the world, and, and certainly the state of Israel. We are, as a community, to answer your initial question, increasingly conscious, I believe, of safety and security. And that has been a reality for us as a community for quite some time. Uh, It is not always good to be first. Uh, Our community consistently receives the highest number of hate crime charges against it of any religious group. We have seen a dramatic increase in anti-Semitic incidents in the last several years that our partners at the Anti-Defamation League or ADL here in the United States track quite uh, diligently. And in addition, we have just seen in this country a dramatic rise in the last 15, 16 years of active threat or active shooter activities, mass attacks that are increasing in number and lethality. So we we face a variety of unique, complex and dynamic threat vectors against this society, against our culture generally in the U.S. and certainly targeted at our community. 
Okay, well, naturally, we hope that you and all of the American Jewish community stay safe. But for now, Michael Masters, thank you very much indeed. As I mentioned, the attack has led to numerous vigils being held around the world. The largest one in London was at JW3 on Monday, the 29th of October. Watching that closely was Denise Lester, who we can speak to now. Denise, would you describe for us, for those who maybe didn't get the chance to either watch it on social media or be there in person, exactly how the vigil panned out? Well, there was a very solemn atmosphere and subdued atmosphere. And frankly, everyone was paying enormous respect. And there was a collective grieving and and solemnity It was like one was attending a funeral, even if one was watching remotely. And the situation is that there was very heavy security outside. And indeed, those dignitaries who attended also had security. There was massive respect paid to the 11 victims for whom my heart goes out of the Pittsburgh community and their friends and relatives. It was the Board of Deputies together with JW3 at their very best in organising this. The British Home Secretary, Sajid Javed, spoke. The Mayor of London, Sajid Khan, spoke. The Chief Rabbi, as well as um, Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg. His Excellency Mark Regev. Marie van der Zyl, who is the president of the Board of Deputies, introduced the event. And this was an event that should not have happened. It was organised at less than 24 hours notice. Well, I was going to pick up on that, Denise, because the truth is that it's amazing how a lot of people speak about togetherness and how all different communities should come together regardless. But Unfortunately, it takes incidents such as this to prove that actually, certainly in this country, the communities do pull together. They may live their separate lives, but what an amazing demonstration of how communities do come together if they have to. Absolutely. And, you know, part of the wonderful privilege of living in the UK is the marvellous diversity and respect that each of the ethnic and multi-faith communities do ultimately have for each other. It is absolutely so sad that this event, which shouldn't happen, happened, but the enormous cooperation across the religious communities and also with the police, Sir Stephen House spoke the police, and the just amazing, frankly, sleepless work of those involved in organising this, to put out a message of solidarity and peace and mutual respect was absolutely remarkable. And Denise, I know that you are a regular shul attender yourself. How would you say that this has affected you personally? Do you think that you would be, I suppose, would you look at going to shul differently, even though, fair enough, it happened several thousand miles away, but would it affect how you attend shul in future, do you think? Not at all. First of all, I don't think that one should cower to any form of threat of anti-Semitism or 
terrorism. I'm proud to be a Jew. I have enormous respect for the Community Security Trust and the police and other local security agencies who guard, protect us. But more importantly, I am a deputy of the Board of Deputies of British Jews for my local synagogue and South Hampstead United. I'm proud to be a deputy. We have an amazing community, as do other communities make up the Board of Deputies, and it made me proud and privileged and humble to be elected from my community to serve the community and to be a board deputy and to also coincidentally report on this important event. Well, naturally, we're very grateful that you managed to spend the time doing so. Denise Lester, for now, thank you very much indeed. And finally, on this somewhat shocking topic, let us speak to Richard Verber from the United Synagogue. This because you may have seen an American Jewish committee campaign called Show Up for Shabbat has been launched to try and defy this attack and seeks to honour the memory of the victims involved in the Pittsburgh massacre. Now, Richard, this is the first time that we have spoken to you in your latest capacity at the United Synagogue as communications director. Of course, to anyone who thinks you sound familiar, it would be because previously we spoke to you in your capacity of World Jewish Relief and Board of Deputies. So I'm very sorry for the reason we're speaking to you, but naturally we're very pleased that you do join us again on the program. Maybe you would just start by explaining the importance of why we should all ensure that as a community, we don't let us put this off attending synagogue and ultimately affecting synagogue attendance numbers. Well, indeed. Thank you, Phil, first of all, for for the warm welcome and inviting me back. Sorry, of course, as you say, to be joining you in such sad circumstances. I'm sure I, like many others, when I switched my phone on after Shabbat last week, was just left numb, shocked by what we were seeing. We are too used to attacks on Jews in Israel and in places around the world. But this particular attack, with its almost randomness, with the large number of deaths, with the fact that it took place in our safe space, one of our synagogues, has really, I think, left the Jewish community around the world rattled and shocked. But you're absolutely right. Just as people have tried to come to hurt us in the past, and we, the Jewish people, have stood firm and indeed got stronger, so too we should be using this opportunity also to do what we can as a community to come together this Shabbat. And that's why our president, Michael Goldstein, issued a call to us all to respond this week by doing just that. Whichever community we're part of, whatever synagogue we belong to, even if we don't belong to one, even if we do belong to one, but don't go that often, to actually as an act of solidarity with the Jewish people of Pittsburgh and wider Am Yisrael, the people around the world, to all be in the same place at the same time this Shabbat morning, perhaps Friday night, if that's easier for you and your families, as an act of solidarity. Now, there's something quite unique about the global Jewish community, isn't there? It's a case of when someone attacks one of us, you attack all of us, I guess, really. And that's what this hideous incident has demonstrated. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, it's no secret that you put two Jews in a room and you've got three opinions. And although we may be divided politically, we may have different understandings of what it means to be a Jew in the 21st century. Uh, The core of a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. And this terrorist, this attacker, 
he didn't think, right, which sort of Jew shall I go and kill? He appears to have Googled a synagogue that wasn't too far and went inside to commit atrocities to softer term for this tragedy. And so I think it therefore behoves us to say, we as Jews in the British Jewish community, whatever, whatever stripe, to do something appropriate, meaningful and Jewish. And that's why I think this call by the United Synagogue president is so appropriate to come to shul this Shabbat. And it's still very early days, but of course the global Jewish community has overcome horrors like this before. You know, some might say a heck of a lot worse than this, but... What do you believe is the most appropriate way for Jews as individuals to deal with what we've witnessed in the last week? Well, I think for me, it's about thinking about what we do well. When I look at our United Synagogue communities, for example, the day after the attack at Hendon United Synagogue, led by Rabbi Mordechai Ginsbury, there is a drop-in centre for asylum seekers and refugees. This is a way of the Jewish community saying, look, we know what it's like to come to a country where perhaps we don't speak the language fluently, where we know that we need a helping hand just to start us off on our way. And we are now doing this for another refugee community, just as we were once refugees ourselves, of course. I cannot think of a bigger a bigger mitzvah, a bigger Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of God's name than less than 24 hours after hearing this horrific attack that Jews should be doing Gemila Chassadim, acts of kindness, volunteering to help other people. Well, Richard Verber, Communications Director for the United Synagogue, thank you very much indeed. And indeed, thank you goes to Denise Lester, who was following the vigil at JW3 very closely, and also to Michael Masters, CEO and National Director of SCN, the Secure Community Network. Now, it's normally at this stage we'd be encouraging you to comment on the stories that you've heard on this week's episode of The Jewish Views, but what can one say about this? Instead, I think that I'd urge you to go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Jewish Views, and there you will see a rather touching memorial video to all 11 of the victims as created by the Israel Project. What more can be said other than may all the victims' memory be a blessing? You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Now, let's turn our attention to some of the other stories and events taking place in the Jewish world. The 22nd Jewish Film Festival launches on the 8th of November and it's going to feature no less than 85 films from 16 countries and it's going to be held at venues up and down the country. Let's find out more about this from the man who knows his Jewish films, the chief executive of UK Jewish Films, Michael Etherton, who joins us now. So every year the uh, the Jewish Film Festival comes to our comes on to our screens. What's what's going on this year, and what have we got to look forward to? Uh, we've got hopefully a, a fabulous range of films for you and our audiences this year. There are eighty five films, and. This year, I think one of the highlights is the other documentary films that we're bringing you. Um, they're really, really strong this year. We particularly noticed that when we were programming the festival. And I'll highlight two or three for you. But the, uh, our centerpiece gala is a film called Three Identical Strangers, which is one of the strongest films I've seen in the last year. It's about triplets. They are raised by in adoptive families with living within a hundred mile radius of each other and they don't know each other. They're oblivious to the fact that each other 
exist until a chance meeting brings them together at the age of 19. It's, it's a true story. And their story became very well known in the early 1980s, and it catapulted them to fame. And this is the very, very bizarre and weird circumstances of that story, which is quite disturbing, but it's the most fascinating film. It won Best Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival, and I think it's going to be one of the hits of this year's UK Jewish Film Festival. And then one, maybe one other I'll just sort of flag up, uh, I was so amazed by it, was a film called On My Way Out, which will be on Tuesday the 13th. It's an, a documentary looking at a, an elderly couple, and the the husband, Poppy, age 95, comes out as gay um, at age 95, and it comes as quite a shock to his family. And so the documentary follows those events as they happen. What's really unusual is, is, is this astounding revelation and it's a documentary that actually captures the events as they, as they happen. And it's, and it's really, it's lovely, but it's also an incredibly sad story. Well worth seeing. What about something a bit lighter or some, or some good yarns and good, good films, action? Are there any of those? Yeah, well, there's always, there's, always some, there's always some good comedy at the Jewish Film Festival, for sure. Or like a bit um, of comedy. <laughs> Go on, tell us about that. Without, without that. We've got a wonderful Swiss film this year called... Vulcanbrook's wondrous journey into the arms of a shiksa. Um, <laughs> I think the title sort of gives it away. A, bit. Well, a little bit, um, but go on. Yeah, I mean, it's, people can be so mean about the Swiss in their sense of humor, humor, but actually this film has got a most fantastic sense of humor. And it's very funny and very, very charming new feature film, of course, about, you know, a love affair between a uh, orthodox young man, of course, falls for the most beautiful, gorgeous non-Jewish student in his university course and of course his mother is absolutely appalled and and we, we see what takes place uh, between those two so that's that's really really well worth seeing if you fancy a bit of light entertainment for one evening and another one on a slightly different theme but also really unusual we've got a documentary called Why the Jews and it looks at the subject of why so many Jews have been so successful, achieved so much, particularly in the arts and sciences. I think it's sometimes it's a bit of an awkward subject to, to mm. discuss, isn't it? It is. Um, but there's a number of Jewish luminaries in, in the film debate reasons why that might be the case. And it's quite interesting. Some quite interesting theories are put forward from Howard Jacobson, from Shimon Peres, from Alan Dershowitz, Jonathan Sachs and others. So I think it'll certainly be a lively debate at the film, and we've got a discussion afterwards with Julie Birchill, Dave Schneider, and Devorah Baum. So there'll certainly be plenty of plenty to talk about, and a great opportunity to ask your questions to that that great panel. Great, and are most of the films? I think people people often wonder: they um, are they mostly foreign language? Well, Hebrew, if it, or are they mostly filmed in English? Well, around a third of our films are from Israel this year. And I would say of the rest, well, we've got films from 16 countries. So I would say a good proportion with subtitles, but there's also a good bunch of films which are in English language, both from Britain, from America, from Australia. So there's plenty for everybody and there's plenty to see if, you, if you're someone who's allergic to subtitles as well. Uh, you, you will have an opportunity to see some films. When you're sourcing these films, do people do, do you, you tend to find now? I suppose after so many years, people are coming to you with the, with the new Jewish films, or are you going to to? How do you even know who to ask, or how do you hear what's going on? What's new? We certainly get a lot of people approaching us these days. Uh, after 22 years, 
as the UK Jewish Film Festival, people come to us. So we have hundreds of submissions each year. But, you know, we're with, you know, we, we work in the industry. We're in touch with distributors, sales agents, and uh, we keep an eye on what goes on at the major film festivals in Jerusalem, Venice, Cannes, Berlin. So we, we're working hard year round to make sure that, you know, we bring the best of Jewish and Israeli contemporary film to audiences. And we sort of have to keep our fingers on the pulse as well. And how do, for people who don't know, there is, of course, the Israeli Film Festival as well as the Jewish Film Festival. I mean, it's it's clear from what you've said that the Jewish Film Festival features Jewish films from all over the world. Is that clear? Are you in competition with them? No, I don't think so. And certainly uh, there's, you know, there are 250,000 Jewish people in, in 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 Britain for a start, and there's there's certainly plenty plenty of audiences for for both. We of course cover Israeli films within our re- remit, but it's much wider. We do have films from around the world, but there's no problem as far as we're concerned with an Israeli film festival. It hasn't affected our audiences, and I think in a way, actually, it develops and helps grow more audiences. For Israeli film, which I think we view as a we view as positive, so it just brings more people to film. Great, and if we want to get tickets, and hopefully not all sold out yet. Well, there's a lot of sellouts, but there's, uh, we <laughs> I suppose sell, they will be. Won't they? We want to sell still, so. And yeah. we can go to your website, the Jewish Film Festival website. Yes, so to get your tickets and some more info, go to ukjewishfilm.org. You can book online. Great, and um, look forward to seeing you there then. Thank you. If you would like any more information on any of the stories or indeed the guests featured on this episode of The Jewish Views, then you can always go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Eighty years ago, in November 1938, Nazis in Germany torched synagogues, vandalized Jewish homes, schools and businesses, and killed close to a hundred Jews. The event is more commonly known as Kristallnacht, also called the Night of Broken Glass. Helen Stone has assisted in the curating of an exhibition, which is currently on at the Wiener Library, and whose family have a very close connection with that infamous event. She joins us in the studio now. Helen, let's start with where your family were and who they were on the nights of the 9th, 10th November 1938. Well, my mother, Emmy Golding, was then Emmy Kaufmann. She was born in Germany in 1914, She and her family lived in a tiny village not far from Cologne. There were only 12 Jewish families in the village. And she was one of uh, many congregations who lived in that area in various small villages. And on the night of the 9th and 10th, they were all just at home as normal? They had been forced to leave their home in their own village and to move to the next village where my grandmother came from because the Nazis had already confiscated their land and their house. So they'd already been uprooted and ha- were had joined with other family members, hoping that it would make them a little safer. Yeah. And tell me, your very special connection is to do with a religious artifact, I believe, a Hanukkah? Yes, that's right. What, what's the story behind that? On the, in fact, the Nazis didn't reach my mother's village until the day after Kristallnacht because there were so many of these small communities spread out that they couldn't do them all at once. 
they came to the village, they set fire to the tiny little synagogue there. And on later in the day, a young non-Jewish German girl called Maria Clay, who was then 11 years old, was walking past the burning embers of the synagogue and she caught sight of something glinting in the embers. When she went closer, she realized it was a very burnt and dirty Hanukkah, which had been used in the synagogue. She looked around, checked that nobody was watching her, picked it up and hid it under the skirt of her dress, ran home to her mother. They then hid it under the mattress, realizing that if they were found with it, they would be in serious trouble. And they kept it, wanting to give it back to one of the members of the Jewish community. Unfortunately, all the Jews had either fled or been taken away. So they kept it. Eventually, Maria's mother died and Maria kept it. And she still couldn't find anyone to give it back to. And she kept it for 70 years until she was 81. That's amazing. When she met a non-Jewish teacher called Wolfgang Freyer, who was in touch with my mother, who had escaped in 1939 and was then living in London, in Edgware, in fact. And he met Maria and she said to him, I have something I want to give back to Emmy. She knew he remembered my mother from the village. And she came with him, with Wolfgang, one weekend. And I was there in my mother's flat when she arrived with this carefully wrapped parcel And she produced from it this beautifully polished brass Hanukkah with yellow candles that she'd put in it. And she handed it to my mother and she said, Emmy, I've waited all these years to give this back to you. And sadly, Maria had a stroke the following year and died. And my mother died two years later. So there was that small window of opportunity when that Hanukkah could be returned. And since then, it's been a treasured item in our family. And we light it every Hanukkah. And it's now in the shattered exhibition at the Wiener Library, and it's in a glass case there, as it has such a, a moving connection with Kristallnacht. Indeed. How old was your mother at that time in 1938? Was she a child? No, she wasn't. She was a young woman already. She would have been 24 at that time. So she she was too old for the kinder transport and she came to Britain eventually as a domestic on a domestic permit, which uh, about 20,000 other young women did at the time. Would you say that the effect of Kristallnacht was lessened because it was such a small village compared to, say, I don't know, Munich or Berlin or one of the bigger cities where all the streets were shattered and the Jews were forced to scrub the pavements and the atrocities of that description? Or or was it just as bad in the smaller villages? I would say it was probably just as bad. I think the Nazis took a little longer to get to those small communities. But the effect that they had and the devastation that they caused was just as great. I know that My grandfather, for example, along with all the other men, was taken away on Kristallnacht and the women folk were left, didn't know where the men had been taken. My mother eventually tracked him down and it turned out he'd been taken to Dachau. She was desperate to get him out and in her attempt to get him out, she decided to go to the SS headquarters in order to do so. So she went to Cologne and demanded to be seen by the head of the SS in Cologne. And amazingly, they let her in. It may have been that she was young and attractive and didn't look particularly Jewish, 
but she got to see him. He asked her what she wanted and she said, my grandfather fought in the First World War. He won the Iron Cross and the Finnish Medal and you have no right to keep him in prison. He's, uh, he was a patriot and he, he fought for Germany. The SS commander said to her, please go home and get the medals and I'll see what I can do. She went home. She came back the following day. She took the Iron Cross and he said to her, he'll be free in three days. And sure enough, three days later, they got a phone call to say that he had been released. Were any of the other members of the family, did they all manage to escape or not? No, not at all. My grandparents eventually did escape with a lot of help from my mother. But my grandparents, my mother and her sister, who eventually escaped to America, were the only family who escaped as a family unit. My grandfather was one of 10. None of his brothers and sisters escaped. My grandmother was one of four. And her two brothers and sister all perished. And most of their children perished. So the legacy of, of that nuclear would be carried on by your branch of the family then? Yes, that's right. As right. I say, we, we like that Hanukkah every Hanukkah and it has a very special meaning for us because of its very unusual history. Indeed, Helen. Thank you very much. I'm sorry we haven't any more time to explore this further, but thank you for coming to the studio. Thank you for asking me. Time now for the Thought of the Week, which this week comes from Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg from the New North London Mazorti Synagogue. Our hearts are heavy in pain and solidarity this week. The Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh is a sister synagogue, a fellow conservative Masorti community. It was attacked because they are Jews, but because they welcomed refugees. And my community has a large sign, Refugees Welcome. We feel close. We have people who've gone to both communities, and I know the senior rabbi. So my heart is heavy as I speak. At the beginning of our Torah portion, Isaac is not there when his mother dies and is buried. He appears later to marry Rebecca. And the place where he comes from is significant. He had been at the well of the God, the living God who sees me. This well was named by Hagar when she and her son found water in the desert after being driven out and nearly dying. According to tradition, it's where Isaac goes after the binding on Mount Moriah. What sort of a place is it? Well, there's a short Hasidic comment by Rabbi Chaim of Chernovitz in which he says, This well is a sign for all generations that God, the living God of all time, sees and perceives the sorrow of those who cry out and God saves them and redeems them. Perhaps even it's not a well of water, but also a well of tears. Isaac goes to a place, a place of solidarity, a place of inner depth and spiritual resilience, where he rediscovers his God after tragedy and loss. Or perhaps we should say Chairoi is not just God, it's the living who see me. The solidarity we Jewish communities were able to show in London, around the world, around America, in which Muslim and Christian communities also showed to those who suffer. That place gives inner strength. And from there, Isaac goes on 
to renew and to restore life with his wife, Rebecca. They continue. They move forward with courage as the Jewish people always has. Thank you to Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg from New North London Mazorti Synagogue with our thoughts for the week. And that's it for this edition of The Jewish Views. Thank you very much to all of our guests, to Michael Masters, Denise Lester, Richard Verber, Michael Etherton and Helen Stone. And thank you also to our producer, Sue Greenberg, and of course, to you at home for listening. You can always listen to this or indeed any previous episode of The Jewish Views by visiting our website, jewishviews.co.uk. And please remember to subscribe to us in your podcast application. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News. But from me, Phil Dave. From me, Kate Fulton. And from me, Diana Toman. We do hope you will join us next time here on The Jewish Views and let it be known that this episode is dedicated to the memory of all of the victims of the Pittsburgh Massacre. Goodbye. <laughs>